0: Welcome to the Spindrift Podcast with me, Eva Glass. Spindrift is a podcast all about adventure, bikes, stories, people and places. Each week I'm joined by a guest who's got a brilliant story to share, from pro athletes and industry insiders to everyday adventurers. This week I'm joined by Rochelle Boubar, Rochelle is the Global Marketing Manager for GT Bicycles and she shares her journey from life in Australia to a never-ending Whistler season, what it's like to work at mountain biking super site Bike, and how riding has changed with the arrival of her baby son. Michelle, thank you so much for uh, joining me for a chat online today. How are you?
1: Yay! Thanks, Eva. I'm so excited to be here. This is uh, nerve-wracking and and great all
0: at once. Thank you. We're going to have a great chat. It's going to be really chilled. We're going to get into all sorts of stuff. Um, We're going to talk about... your amazing career like some of the amazing things you've done what it's like working in the industry um, we're yeah. definitely going to talk if you don't mind about um being a new mum in cycling which is yeah. really cool so that'll be great so awesome um, we've got some great questions that um our podcast listeners have, have sent in so I'm going to ask you those if that's all right but first of all can you like tell us where you're tuning in from because I think you might be my first international guest
1: Oh, how exciting. Yes, I am tuning in today from uh, Connecticut, USA, oh. which might not be on the map for a lot of people, but <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't on the map for me really before I moved here. Uh, but its uh, I'm about a, an hour and, and change outside of New York City. Oh, that's uh, not far at all. No, no. It's a uh, it's pretty exciting place to be, actually. Uh, you've got New York City on the doorstep, and, but we're kind of in a suburban-y, rural kind of area. Um, it has lots of outdoors and uh, good access to cool, you know, arts and music wow. and culture, not too far away. So,
0: nice. Yeah, I have to say yeah. I've got a bit of an addiction to Google Maps, particularly the satellite view, and I love yeah. like zooming in on various places around the world, particularly in America, and just going, "Oh my God, there's just so much space and so much forest." There must be incredible yeah. riding where you are.
1: Uh, yeah, there is quite a lot of riding. I, it's I guess it all depends what you're into. So where we are is very um, technical kind of trail riding. Mm-hmm. So uh, we like to call it a bar fight because you go out and you have to work hard. <laughs> right. um, but there's amazing gravel riding around here and, um, you know, the East Coast has tons of really cool um, trail centres and bike parks actually, probably not too dissimilar to the UK. So within a couple of hours we can get to like Thunder Mountain Bike Park or Killington or Mountain Creek and they're probably all names that you've heard being thrown around um so yeah there's a cool little scene over here it's uh it's easy to to hop in the car and go drive to some really fun places for sure
0: brilliant i'm gonna i'm gonna be adding these to my internal like places to ride when we're allowed to travel list yeah 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 come
1: over we'll take you around it'll be so fun yeah,
0: awesome awesome um okay so let's I start every podcast by like taking my guests back in time and um, to mm-hmm. the very beginning of your cycling journey so did you ride as a child and did you keep riding or did you stop at any point and if so why what happened uh
1: yeah so I think I got my first bike when I was you know five or so the usual and rode as a kid and definitely fell out of it as a teenager and got into gymnastics and high school aerobics and netball and that kind of stuff and then after high school I ended up getting a bike to ride to work and it was not a very far ride like under a mile probably <laughs> but I mean I wasn't into mountain biking I didn't I didn't know anything about it I was just commuting on a, on a you know a regular uh, townie bike to, mm-hmm. to work so it wasn't until I moved to Whistler in Canada in 2005 that I discovered the wonderful world of, of mountain biking. Um, yeah, I, I decided to go do some travelling. Left my career in, in Sydney at the time in Australia where I grew up, and um, went to go skiing for a season in Whistler and, and never came home. <laughs> Sorry, mum,
0: <and> dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? Because like I, I used to, I got into snowboarding before I got into bikes, and Whistler was always this, like amazing promised land of amazing snowboarding, um, and yeah. I always thought the first time I'd go to Whistler would be for the snow, but actually it turned out that the first time I went there was for for the biking. Uh, isn't was, that amazing? I know. Oh god, the biking is so good. So it's so good. Awesome. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. so so you you went there for a winter season and then summer came around and you're like I want to stay and I I'm gonna learn how to ride a bike there are not many easy trails in Whistler so as a as a place for a beginner that must have been quite full-on it really was yeah I like I stayed for the winter and I, I met a boy there and he was a mountain
1: biker and he was like you you gotta stay for summer I had plans to travel on like I had a round the world ticket booked I was yeah. going to Europe and, and he was like stay for summer it's awesome we'll, I'll teach you how to mountain bike and I was like all right and then I ended up working um, at the time in, like, guest services at the bottom of the hill, you know, selling lift tickets and all that stuff. And they give you – they want you to learn – go and do all the activities. So we got a free lesson in the bike park and um, we went down Easy Does It, which you – I don't know if you went down there. Mm -hmm. Like, we went down Easy Does It. I was on a rental bike. I was about as hungover as I've ever been in my entire life. (laughs) I was, like, a mess. But I got to the bottom and I just – I was, like – I need a mountain bike like this is so freaking cool like I just was hooked immediately and I think I spent all the savings that I had on a a downhill mountain bike and that was it so Whistler was like super cool at the time and they they still do it now which they have these women's nights women's Mm -hmm. Wednesdays and they'd only just started when I started mountain biking but that was like crucial to my learning curve of getting on the bike and I made some amazing friendships with other girls there who were learning to mountain bike because we were kind of all going through this together. We were doing this new sport together and you've probably ridden with other female friends where you're like, oh, if she can do it, I can probably give it a crack and see how it goes and – and you just bond and grow together over that experience, and it was so amazing, like to to learn in that environment. And then obviously, you know, you go on the, like, riding with your girlfriends and guy friends as well. I have this crazy progression because you're in this incredible bike park where you can kind of set your sights on different features and mm. and think, all right, I think I might be ready to try this now, or like steer clear of something until you, you get the nerve to to go back and try it. But it, it was a, a crazy. Those first summers were really intense like
0: yeah I remember
1: some days just trying something new for the first time that I'd had on on my list and and doing it and succeeding and then just being like I'm done I'm mentally done that's it I'm going to go and have a beer that I can't I can't, <laughs> I can't do any more writing today like this yeah. and just being so exhilarated by just doing things that i never thought i'd be able to do like i started mountain bike when i was 25 i think and yeah like older than a lot of people but it, it was so great to be just in this little hotbed of activity where you could you could get your skills up really quickly because you were able to do it every day and there's this incredible pr- progression built into with the Whistler bike park and the surrounding areas
0: during that learning period I mean it is amazing because you must have been able to ride so regularly and you've got the lifts as well so it makes you know sort of long long runs and more frequent runs possible yeah um how do you deal with um, with building up to certain things so like for me if I if there's a if there's a feature that I'm not keen on it will take me quite a number of roll-ups before I do it and then and then some days it's just not happening but then one day right and I don't really even know what's changed but one day you'll roll up to it I know I can do this today and
1: yeah I think like we would kind of traipse around the bike park in a little group and and we there were things we would we'd know we'd want to look at so mm-hmm. like say when the the GLC drop used to be there you probably were there when yeah. that existed we'd be like you'd, you'd look at it and you'd know it and we'd go in our like group to Stand on top of it. And some of us would be like, okay, I I think I'm ready for this today. And others would be like, not quite there. And you just kind of put it in the back pocket. And there's so many other features in the bike park which build up to that moment. So you could go and hit the skills drops and get really comfortable on those and they're a little bit smaller. And then one day you could go back to the GLC drop or the A line drop and stand on it and be like, you know what? I think I'm ready for this now. And Mm -hmm. and your coaches or your friends or whoever you're with they kind of know you at that point and they know what you're capable of and and if you get that little like inside if you know it and you get that that affirmation from a friend who it's like yeah you got this it kind of helps set you over uh, to doing it so I think like I learned that like if I wasn't quite feeling something at the time it didn't really matter if that feature wasn't going to go anywhere you know it's always going to be there the next time you go in the bike park just leave it for a couple of weeks and then go write other stuff and then you'll maybe next time you come back to it and you're like yeah today's the day I think that that worked for me
0: so yeah would you say you're kind of more of a like building up to something or someone who'll like tend to throw themselves over it and like yeah is (laughs) is it is it speed or caution is your friend would you say uh
1: I am very calculated I will not I am not a hucker who does things like without knowing that I can do it although like as I've mountain biked more over the years like sometimes I'll be like yeah yeah I think I'll be fine I got this <laughs> it's going wrong <laughs> um, <laughs> but I definitely I build up I think like coming from a gymnastics background it's all very tech technical and technique based and like body movement so yeah. I was like all right like I can do this then I'll build up to this and I like whereas you know other friends you see they're <laughs> like all the gear and no idea or they're just like they just will send it and you're like oh my god are you gonna survive and they they do
0: or they don't but like yeah i uh, am not in that category (laughs) that's really interesting that you, you said you come from a gymnastics point of view so do you think from what you've observed from from riding with your friends do you think that that gave you an advantage not just in mindset but also physically
1: um I think it depends on the individual. For me, physically, just because as a gymnast you learn a lot about balance mm-hmm. and isolation of muscle groups and you're very body aware and how to use your body to do whatever it is you're trying to do. So yeah. I, I think that helped a lot for sure. I've I've seen other um, people come up through mountain biking who come from like ski racing backgrounds, mm-hmm. for instance. When you spoke to Inez, um that was her background. and yeah. the, And they – they're also really technically focused, but they have that added element of speed and how to like corner and, yeah. you know, putting their edges in on their skis and getting down the hill as fast as possible. You see those people on bikes and you just know that they come from like a racing background because they can corner their bikes like, so well. And it's, yeah. it's super cool. I think, yeah, different, different sporting backgrounds bring different things to the table and to, as a mountain biker, for sure. I
0: feel like there needs to be a study into this somehow. It'd be really yeah, like what, what different sports sort of help different elements of, of riding? Um, I had a question yeah. from, uh, got a question from Lily. Um, she wants to know, did you ever get or do you ever get demotivated or frustrated with your riding or progress? And if so, how do you deal with that?
1: Oh, yeah, like. It happens, you know, and I think you. For me, I just recognize that it's a bad day or a bad moment, and understand that it comes in waves, and you're not always going to be on top of your game. When I first started mountain biking in Whistler, I would get really frustrated. Like some summers, I just would not be feeling it, or I'd have the fear,
0: mm. like
1: for some reason. And I've just come to understand uh, now that I've ridden for so many years that some seasons you're going to feel great, and you're going to learn a ton, and Others you might learn not learn as much but maybe you'll get more fit or something else will happen and no summer is ever going to be the same and just yeah. be just to know your skill level and that you can do it and you can come back to something and it's not the end of the world. It's not like you've forgotten how to do it. It's just a bad day or a bad moment, bad week and you'll get through it.
0: I'm also a big fan of the old Reset Trail. So I have um, where I am now, it's a blue trail, Verger's Trail in the Forest of Dean. And it's not technical, but it's a lot of fun. And if I'm yes. like, oh, I'm, I'm terrible at riding a bike, I just can't do this anymore, I'll go and ride that because I know I can ride it and no yeah. pressure. And it's just really good fun. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this is why I'm doing it because it's really good fun. That's it's what so I'm... fun. Yeah. yeah, that's a
1: great tactic. Yeah, just go ride something that you love and you know and you feel comfortable on.
0: So how long were you um, working in Whistler for?
1: Uh, I was there for nearly a decade.
0: So, Whoa.
1: Yeah. It was really, really fun. <laughs> it was such a cool experience to be in that sort of environment where, you know, everybody there is there to be outside and enjoy enjoy what activities were on offer there. Mm-hmm. And it was a big mind shift for me coming from the city, from Sydney, where it was all very like career focused, buy a house, moved to the suburbs in the Cedar Sky area of Canada. Like the first thing people would ask you there was like, do you ski? do you ride bikes and not like what do you do for a job (laughs) yeah the mentality was just so different which was very liberating because you could and everybody was serious about their work and, and hard workers and stuff but it was
0: more just about what do you do for fun yeah
1: which i think a lot of society has forgotten and or doesn't prioritize now
0: yeah i think that's one of the interesting things about lockdown is that at least in the uk with more people it's not true of everyone but with more people um working from home and spending less time commuting i think people who have had the opportunity of like had the time to try and reconnect with some of the things they used to do so like going walking going to the local park going swimming while while swimming outdoor swimming has become huge here uh, and yes. the number of people riding bikes the number of new mountain bikers out is fantastic
1: isn't it amazing it's so so cool to see like i agree it's been the same over here like um in our little neighborhood in particular too like beginning of lockdown we would see like you know little families going for family jogs or out for walks every day or like the guys like dad down the street got a bike and he's like can you help me set up my new bike i want to go riding with my son and it's just so heartwarming and it's definitely one of the cool things that have come out of the pandemic is to see so many people getting back to basics and enjoying family time and getting outdoors.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And also sort of, I think that sort of whole local community thing as well, because I think people have had the opportunity to shop local, to reconnect with their neighbors. And and that's been something else that's been really positive. And I hope, I hope that lasts. It's a silver lining to what we've all gone through, which has been pretty rubbish the rest of the time. Um, (laughs) Yeah, totally. (laughs) So, let's move on then to um let's go back to the career side of things so you were right. working in uh, when you were in Australia were working in tv um mm-hmm. which for many people sounds like oh my god that sounds like a dream was that yeah. what you want that was that what you thought you wanted to do and and then how did that end up changing yeah it was um I was yeah I was really
1: interested in tv production and went to college um to do like a, a community college course on tv production after school and. And we had a connection at the um, Australian Broadcasting Corporation, and I was able to get in to do like an internship, which turned into a job, and and it was great. I worked on a few different TV shows, and I worked in the TV publicity department where we would like promote the the shows that were going to be coming out on air and get all the tapes uh, tapes at the time v- VHS tapes out to the, out to the journalists and. Yeah, I worked on um, a science show, which was great, a kids show, and then um, like a, a bus- behind the scenes media show, and it was very cool, And uh, but I guess I had a little bit of wanderlust that needed to be quenched, and I think the UK is the same, like it's very encouraged to go do a gap year and travel, yeah. and and uh, Australian culture is really like that too, like go see the world, you know. Cause, it's quite isolated country and family holidays are you go up the coast or down the coast you you don't pop over to Europe like say you guys would yeah yeah um so I I actually did go and do a year in the UK in Europe and then I came back to TV yeah Yeah. and then I was like all right what's the next adventure and it's like well I haven't really done a ski adventure and um you know I could get a a visa to Canada pretty easily so kind of put Canada in my sights and and decided to take another year off and just see what happened and then um, I guess that year turned into uh, like a decade and I, I felt I, yeah I fell off the career path and I, I ended up just doing like fun jobs for a while which was great it was mm-hmm. very social you know, I was selling ski lessons and then I was selling snowmobile tours and then I was working guest relations and I worked in a hotel and then I eventually landed in a um working in a bar which you may have visited when you're in Whistler, the GLC, the Garibaldi yes. list Company. <laughs> yeah. And geez, that was a blast. My my boss at the time there, he was like, you'll never work anywhere as fun as here. He he may have been right, but <laughs> it was a really good time. Um, but you know, after a few years there, it was kind of like, all right, I think as fun as this is, I, I need to use my brain a little bit more and, yeah. and try and figure out how to like use my love of biking in a career
0: mm-hmm.
1: format. And so, um, obviously living in Whistler and working at the DLC, so you meet a ton of people in the bike industry, yeah. um, which was great and I had a a friend who'd worked at the DLC and he ended up getting a job at Pink Bike and um yeah he came to me one uh one day and he's like we need someone to start running a new foundation for Pink Bike um Share the Ride yes um so they wanted to set up a like a charity basically where they would raise money on Pink Bike and then reinvest that money into buying bikes for disadvantaged kids all over the world so he was like I I think you should do this. It's like a three-month contract or whatever. And, oh, so before that, actually, sorry, I, I had decided to go back to school and do a little bit of journalism, like uh, night school and stuff, yes, yeah. to start using my brain. And I'd started taking photos and doing a couple of articles and I'd submitted a couple of things. And mm-hmm. because of that, he came to me and he was like, yeah, come come and do this. And it wasn't exactly what I was thinking, but it was a really great opportunity. It wasn't like yeah. what I was thinking I'd end up doing. And, yeah, so my, my boss at the time just kind of like, sat me down and was like, yeah, so here's a few email addresses. Um, email some bike companies and see if you can, uh, you know, get buy some bikes and uh, get some stuff to raffle off and uh, let's see if we can raise some money and buy bikes for kids. Cool. <laughs> yeah. And so it was a huge learning curve. It was really – like, wholesome work yeah. and, like, satisfying work, you know, because you all these companies are great and so willing to help and, like, give things to raffle off and raise money and then companies really wanted to help be able to, like, purchase kids' bikes or BMX bikes at a discount so that we could then buy them and then, like, work with local communities to get them out to these kids around Christmas time. Oh, lovely. Yeah, it was really nice. We did one in Vancouver that I was able to put together and we put away – we gave away, like, 50-something bikes at that one alone. And then we worked with different areas, like, in Poland and um, Czech Republic and um, we did a thing with, like, Diamondback at the time down in Seattle and then – Gosh, I am trying to think which years because we did stuff in Australia and um, elsewhere as well. So that so we would find someone who had a connection to like a local community there that needed like new, new kids that would need this kind of like opportunity. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. It 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 ended up rolling into full time work. So it, that wrapped up after Christmas time, and mm-hmm. and then they were like, we actually have a ton of work. Like, do you want to stay on? And stay on full time. And You're and... like,
0: well, I'm not sure.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. I remember like when I first got my email address, like Rochelle at pinkbike.com or whatever, I was like,
0: I can't believe <laughs> I have a pink bike email. This is so freaking cool. When in your mountain biking journey, when did you become aware of pink bike and, and sort of because it has a, a very special reputation? Within mountain yeah. biking. Yeah. Like, oh, Pink bike. Ah, you know, I don't, I can't
1: remember. It was just kind of always there. You yeah. Know? It was like the guys that you'd hang out with are always to- talking about articles on Pink Bike, and then it becomes something that you visit. And then, oh, yeah. of course, the comments section is like <laughs> always yeah. a conversation starter. So, um, I don't know, but it was always kind of like the like, ah, of mountain biking media. Well, especially for where I was, too, because it was such a core, yeah. you know, Whistler's such a core mountain bike community, and and they're out of um, BC, too,
0: mm. so. So, for people who don't know, and I'm, I'm assuming it was the same then, Pink Bike is actually based out of Squamish, which is just down the road from Whistler. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, they actually started in, um, in the Fraser Valley area, uh, right. um, just kind of outside Abbotsford, um, and They so they everyone was mostly remote. They had a little office there out of the owner's um, house. um, Carl and and Raddick who um, own and Raddick started Pinkbike Um, and a a guy called Tyler Main um, worked there. He was like their first employee, and then Mike Levy would kind of pop in and out because he was in the area. And um, Casimir was there. He's still there now. He he's over in Bellingham, and then uh, myself and I was in Whistler and working remote and so i'd go down there every now and then to just like pop into the office and see people and work from there but everyone was remote and then it wasn't until i left pink bike that they uh, got an office in squamish so i was like dang it
0: <laughs> <laughs> but it's cool because you were kind of like the whistler correspondent which i i quite like as a as an animal. yeah yeah i was i was it was it was very cool it was like really cool yeah. so what kind of things did you work on at pink bike because if you if you're and i remember sort of being outside the industry and, and thinking like Oh what is it actually like to do this like to work as a as a bike journalist on on a magazine or a website? Could you give us um give us an insight into into what the job entails from the inside <laughs> yeah. yeah it's it's very different now at the time, like it was such a small
1: crew you know mm. so um they brought me in and there was like a publisher and a guy who was in charge of sales and and Tyler who was running the the homepage and um I was just helping with everything because everybody needed help so I was like helping Tyler put news up on the homepage and like you know fielding questions from companies or people wanting to submit stories and kind of like sub-editing stuff and and then I was helping the sales guys with like getting ads up on the website and like changing the masthead and then you know it'd come to events time and I'd be like driving the truck down to Seattle and like standing at the booth helping out and And then it would be, it kind of just evolved over the years and the team grew as I was Mm. there. So, like, I ended up doing less of the sales stuff and more of the, like, um, editorial side and, like, starting to, like, write articles that were, like, female reviews and try and get a little bit more women's coverage on the site. Yeah. um, And then it was also, you know, doing events coverage and, like, getting up at crazy hours to watch the World Cups and, like, post results and Figure out who's going to take photos from the World Cup and who's going to be writing the articles and like helping them like sub edit their articles yeah. and get them on the website and and I know people complain of, about grammar, grammatical errors. I got to say apologies. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot going on, and people were like getting stuff up as fast as
0: possible. Yeah. And, do you, you think know, that? Um, I mean, it's different now because the team's are much bigger, and there's a lot there's a lot right. more people involved. But do you think that people overestimate how many people work on a website? Because I remember when I used to work on Total Women's Cycling, and when we first started, like we were putting up quite a lot of content. We were obviously not on the same level as Pink Bike. Um, but we used to get, we used to get comments and I had to like write back to some people and go, do you know, there's only two of us that work on this website? Yeah. yeah. this There's only two. We have to edit. We have to commission. We have to copy edit. Like, and yeah, we're not going to be able to cover everything. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, totally. And when it was just Tyler and I, when it was just Tyler, like it was insane because you'd have things that needed, like that were time critical for Europe audience or whatever. And Mm. so you'd be just up or setting alarms to be up at weird times doing things and um yeah there's just so there's a lot to do and you know like I don't think anyone could believe like how much content gets submitted to the website as well and uh how much kind of like work there is behind the scenes to get articles ready or like going back and forth with people who are submitting the article to make it um you know homepage worthy let's say um yeah, so I, I've heard about Total women's Cycling too, just, uh, just you know, what like uh, Jess, Jessica when she was there, how much, yeah. you know, you guys are like pumping out during a day. and like,
0: Yeah, well Jessica it, was it, pretty much on her own when she was towards the end of it. She was like kind of yeah. one-woman one show. One-woman show. Incredible. Yeah. <laughs> she did an amazing job. Yeah, um, it's great. Yeah. yeah, and then all the social media that goes along yeah. with it and yeah. like yeah so it must yeah. have been as a role um as as i guess like your your first kind of bike industry role, although it's it was quite there's lots going on, it was a great opportunity to try lots of things, get experience in oh. lots of areas, make loads of connections, and work out the bits you were interested in.
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, I got to work with like different brands and different like photographers and and writers and um, it, yeah, editors and um, reviewers, and it was so cool for that. And I definitely, yeah, I figured out you know that the the sales side might not have been for me. me and I definitely enjoyed the editorial side for sure and like kind of making things happen behind the scene and you know like doing all the women's articles stuff was really cool and I'm so grateful that I got the opportunity to do that and you know put that content out there and get and help get that started with you know Danielle Baker she was um, doing a lot at the time and And just getting some women's stuff on there and and obviously now they've got like so much cool stuff going on they've got christina presenting and they've got Mm. sarah working on the side but yeah i i guess i i like
0: doing like where i am now i think like so um from your time at pink bike what were your what was your high moment like what's your like your go-to favorite memory from working there
1: Oh wow! Uh, I, I think I was really proud and of actually doing some bike reviews. Like that—that yeah. that was extremely nerve-wracking. Yeah, and the, I got to say, like the guys were super helpful and like really helped me get those bike reviews across the line. Um, I was—I was pretty proud of those moments, even though if not what I've ended up doing long-term or mm-hmm. wanted to do long-term, it was like there's a lot of technical information there, and it's—it yeah. it can be very daunting and. You know, you have to keep an open mind and, and trust in yourself that you know what you're talking about.
0: Yeah, so I think I think those were were pretty cool. The other thing I find about what doing reviews is, I feel a sense of responsibility because you are potentially you're potentially informing someone's buying decision, and they are yeah. going to spend a lot of money, possibly based on what you say about this bike. And I I, I always want to make sure that I am as as honest. Um, but yep. also as helpful as I can be so that, you know, they get the right bike for them.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you've got them to worry about and you've
0: got the brand as well. Yeah. And
1: sometimes you're going to say something that the brand's not going to like and that's a little bit terrifying because yeah. you're going to hear hear about it. But you have to be transparent and authentic to yourself and what your experience is with that product. Yeah. And, yeah, you got to be a little bit t- thick skins and yeah, you want to make sure you're being truthful and honest with the consumer. And yep. often the brands will know that something's not quite right and they'll have their reasons why or whatever. But
0: yeah.
1: there's always new products in the pipeline that maybe they're working on improvements that and didn't make it to that particular instance of product. Yeah.
0: yeah. And, and I guess the other thing as well is like remembering that I, like for me personally as a tester, I have my own preferences. I am a particular size, shape, I live in a particular yeah. area. So what feels great for me here might not work if you live in the Alps, for example. So, totally. And that's yeah, not the bike, all... that's just the, the circumstances.
1: Yeah, it's totally subjective. There's so many, like diff- like, varying factors to... A product, yeah, yeah, but it's fun. I really liked. I loved riding all the different bikes. I mean, that was super cool to just get that experience of like trying different things and seeing how they felt in different suspension platforms and different products. Yeah, that was great.
0: Um, yeah. What about bike launches? Do you have any? So, again, for anyone who, who who outside of the industry, what what often happens, or at least happens when we're not during a global pandemic. Is if a bike brand has a new bike to launch, they will sometimes invite a load of journalists off to a quite nice location mm-hmm. uh, where everybody gets to ride the bike together and talk to the, you know, the brand, the designers, whatever, and learn about it. Um, and that's usually what. So when you um, when you read those like first ride reviews or those news stories, that's usually what those are based off. Did you did you go on any exciting ones there? Did you?
1: yeah Ooh. um I went on a few exciting ones actually um so I did a couple of SRAM ones which were very cool they always put on a good show <laughs> very make everybody feel very comfortable <laughs> um, <laughs> editors get spoiled you know they yeah. get the, the full works um some uh, cool Juliana one in uh, Downeyville which was really
0: fun yeah and, uh, uh, you and I did a fun one together in Sedona. Yes, although I I think I – oh, God, I didn't do so well on – I don't know it was the altitude or the heat. Yeah. It, it, yeah, that 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 was perhaps not my best. <laughs> Beautiful location, but I'm not sure I, uh, yeah, did so well. Well, you know what you did do really well there that
1: I remember quite clearly? Oh, I know
0: what you're going to say. You won karaoke. <laughs>
1: you won karaoke. Everyone listening, Aoife has a – lovely singing voice oh, just delightful uh, the rest of us editors were out there like belting around the microphone out of tune, and then Eva steps up and
0: just <laughs> yeah, but sang beautifully the problem is I have a choir girl voice and I was trying to sing moves like Jagger <laughs> and I'm just not sure that pairing works or maybe it does it did it was it was eons better than anyone else was doing <laughs> That yes. was a rather special launch. Yes, I I will carry that memory for a long time. Um, yeah. So, yeah, some amazing launches. But now you are on the other side. Of yes. You're from journalist to bike brand. Um, yeah. And you're global marketing manager for GT Bicycles.
1: Yeah, So fun. I love it. What, I love it.
0: What does that mean? So, what does that job title mean?
1: Right. So. I'm part of the global marketing team for GT. So, uh, where there's four of us: myself, I'm my boss Mike Morrow. Um, we have a, a very talented graphic designer, Andrea, and um, an assist, a uh, social media specialist, Brendan, who's rad. To everybody's rad, love our team. So, our job um, collectively is to work really closely with the product team to look at what's coming up long term on the product line mm-hmm. and begin to understand what products are coming out and. And what audience is going to use these bikes and figure out not the story but like how what messaging are we going to use to help people understand the benefits um of purchasing this bike and how they can use it and like so basically building brand campaigns to support product mm-hmm. um so that's like one main thing that we would do but so being the global team we also work really closely with our regional teams so we have a regional office in the UK um, cycling sports group UK and we have an office in Europe and then GT is actually pretty um, heavily um, distributor based so we have like a distributor in Australia and New Zealand Czech Republic Norway and and we work really closely with those distributors to make sure that they have everything that they need to sell into their markets too yeah um So it's really cool. Again, it's really global and we get to work with um, lots of people around the world and we get, like, really interesting feedback on how different platforms are being received in different markets and there's just so much variation everywhere, you know, due to terrain and and what people's interests are in different areas. And um, so, yeah, like, my my team and I and Mike, um, we work really closely to, like, figure out what the – what the messaging is and also just in general what our what the GT brand is like yeah. who are we and and what do we stand for and um, make sure that like everything that we do product wise kind of relates back to who we are at, at our core as the brand um and we work with uh, athletes so because our office is in north america we do a lot of stuff in north america based too so we kind of have a really cool set of athletes that we work with um, in north america and globally and you know it's communicating with them and um like making sure they're on on point with like what gt stands for and and you know we're helping co-promote them and um, it's really varied. There's yeah. there's a ton of different stuff. It's like yeah, the social media stuff, website stuff, and branding stuff, and yeah, it's, uh, putting on launches too. So yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to get back to your point, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So when I first started at GT, um, gosh, what was it, 2017? We were getting ready to launch um, Sensor and, and Force, and we put together a launch in Norway, actually. And oh, wow. Yeah, it was so cool. We have a really great distributor over there and a, a really great following in Norway, and we have Braga Vestovic. I don't know if you've seen him. He's an athlete. He's so cool. Um, so we worked with them to put a, a launch on, and um, it was extremely no- nerve-wracking because I'd come from the journalist side, and I know how, like, <laughs> boil you can get to... To making, you know, to to putting on a, a launch is it's it's nerve wracking because you mm. want to make sure that you have the right terrain for the journalists to ride on the bikes and you want them to have a good time and enjoy themselves too. So it was a really cool time.
0: Let's talk about the current situation at the moment, if that's okay. Because yeah. um, so we've got like a perfect storm of stuff happening, like one thing mm-hmm. after another after another. The UK has got an extra layer of like, yay, Brexit. Um So we've got. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Global pandemic, um, which has interrupted manufacturing and transport of goods. And then mm-hmm. we have the ever given blocking the Suez Canal. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> really not help the situation.
1: Icing on the cake.
0: <laughs> Thanks, ship, that's great. Yeah. Um, and I don't know what it's like there, but I know in the UK like everybody's like, Oh my god, you can't you can barely like buy a bottom bracket for love nor money, you have to like sell a yeah. kidney and Literally, people are, like, having bits stolen off their bikes yes, to get yeah. other things. I mean, it's, it's, it's insane at the moment. It's, What's it like from your perspective?
1: Yeah, it's very insane. We heard a story yesterday about a bike shop that was going to the local, like, donation store to, like, buy the, like, used bikes there to get parts off them. Wow. Yeah. It's it's pretty crazy. At this point, you just have to ride the wave because mm. um, lead times are just changing Every day, the poor product team are making what substitutions they can to get products out on time because, you know, XYZ is now not going to be available for another four months, which puts the bike that they're working on back so many more months. And everybody is just rolling with it. So product is coming in to the countries, but they're all just – they they're not staying in our warehouses they're going straight out to retailers which is great because people can get their hands on bikes but everything's just being snapped up so quickly and everybody's having to stay really nimble thinking about like i was just mentioning like we've got a a few um you know things in the works that it's like all right we're planning to film this here but we've got a b plan and a c plan because we, (laughs) we know that um well a people might not be able to travel or you know uh samples or uh might not arrive at the expected date um so it's just a lot of like we think this is happening but we're fully ready and prepared for it to not happen (laughs) and 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 switch things up so yeah the the uh, product teams and the taiwan like uh logistics teams and everything are in to do working like crazy to do their best for everything but you know it's just you can only do so much yeah, right you just got to deal with yeah. the
0: situation because we can't do anything about it so
1: yeah it is. it is what it is and and it's great to know that like the product that's coming in is going out to retailers and it it's getting to people so as long as we can still keep getting people out on bikes and the demands there it's great
0: so let's talk talking about sort of experiences of cycling um mm. you are a new mum. Congratulations. Yes, thank you. <laughs> how thank are you doing? You. How are you feeling? And how old is the little one now? He is 14, almost 15 months old.
1: Wow. Yeah. And he's great. We're, we're all great. It's been such a cool experience. Um, so yeah. he was born January 2020, right before the pandemic kicked wow. off. Yeah, so I was on my maternity leave and then all of a sudden uh, there's a work from home order and um, things changed real fast, Yeah, real fast when he was just two and a half months old. Um, My mum's only met my kid once and my my dad's never met him. My sister's never met him. So it's very – it's kind of heart-wrenching in that respect, but um, we're all very excited for the day when we can – meet up but yeah. at the same time working from home has allowed us to spend a lot more time with him and not commuting yeah. and actually get a little bit more time with him in the day
0: yeah so, yeah being able to work from home more and doing more stuff yes and again i'm not a massive fan of endless zoom meetings but it means but, that it's a lot more accessible for people who have people to look after at home or have to do the, the school run or have accessibility needs
1: 100 uh, percent. this is
0: great like actually we should keep this going.
1: Yeah, like if we, if I was commuting to the office every day, I'd lose an hour with him. And honestly, he we get him home by five thirty, and then he's toast by six thirty. Wow. So I'd never see him yeah. if if I was commuting every day. So you guys think in miles, right? So his daycare is like two and two and a bit miles away from our house. So we have a little chariot hooked up to the back of the bike so when the weather's nice we can ride our bike to daycare and it's funny like all the daycare teachers think it's amazing because the area we're in is very car focused and I think a lot of America is like that so they sometimes the teachers run out and they're like oh we wanted to see him in the chariot like that's so cool (laughs) he gets his little helmet on and sits there with his snack bucket and has snacks and (laughs) yeah yeah. it's great
0: and has has he got his own little bike
1: uh, not yet. We're about to get a hand-me-down, like, mm-hmm. um, with a little Strider bike, like yeah. 10-inch wheel one, because um, when they're this age, they're still a little bit small for, like, a 12-inch. Um, yeah. So that this summer we'll get a hand-me-down 10-inch and get him on that. And then I just got a cool um, bike seat for him. It's a Thule, yep seat <clears throat> so i can hook it up to the front of my mountain bike and i was going to ask is to be mountain biking yet <laughs> <laughs>
0: um,
1: not yet but he will very soon the weather's just getting good for it now nice. so yeah we've got the seat and um i can't wait to go take a mountain biking. because like honestly after having a kid mountain biking for me used to be more like i want to go do like big rides or fast or like go hit all the big stuff and i still like doing that but now like just getting on a bike is so magical (laughs) it sounds corny but it's just the joy of actually being on a bike and to be able to like have him on the front and hit some mellow trails and go slow like I don't care it'll be so fun to have him with me to like experience that so it's kind of strips away all the a lot of the ego of, of riding a bike and gets you back to the basics of just enjoying being out on a bike and like being on the chariot like I never thought I would like enjoy that so much but He's back there. I get to yell at him and have a chat with him yeah. as he's back there and gets you out. and It's a really nice way to start the day, like I said, working from home. You have a little commute, like get some fresh air for a 15-minute bike ride in the morning and it just it's such a nice way to start the day.
0: Talking of, of being a new mum, Lauren Jenkins wants to ask, um, when you've come back to riding, has anything changed for you?
1: Hi, Lauren. I love you. <laughs> <laughs> Lauren and I work together at Bike and she's oh. like one of the most sweet humans. Um, yes, yes, definitely. Um, after I, when I was pregnant, I slowed down a lot. Yeah. And it's very, it's a really, really bizarre feeling. And mm-hmm. it's been actually really interesting watch, uh, reading along with Rachel Atherton mm. and relating to her. Your body and your mind just knows what's right for you and yeah. everybody's different, but I slowed down a lot I didn't really want to go to the bike parks because I didn't want to like be stupid and cause an accident so I just trail rode and then I was like ah you know he's born in January by the time spring comes around I should be back to like my normal riding schedule riding tons and getting out whenever I want and doing big hard rides and it just was not the case at all it you know it takes a while for your body to get back to normal and your fitness isn't all there and it honestly it it just didn't matter. Like last year was my first season back and I was just happy to be on the bike and right. and that's what changed for me. I think was just like letting go of expectations and just getting out for a ride. Um, I met some great local girlfriends and we would go riding together on Tuesday or Wednesday nights and it was very social and fun and we would like, you know, go and ride some features and ride some trail and and it wasn't about, like, trying to, like, punish myself or ride as fast as possible or keep up with the guys or whatever. It was just about having a good time on the bike. And I, and that's changed. Like, now I really just appreciate mountain biking or any type of riding. And um, this this summer I've been able to, like, start to get my skills back and hit some bigger things again and, yeah. like... But I kind of gave myself that leeway of like, you know what,
0: it doesn't really matter this year, just like get
1: on your bike, have a good time, and now just starting to step things up again.
0: For new mothers getting back into cycling is they they always ask like how long before I can ride and do Mm -hmm. I need to change my saddle or do I need to change my setup in any way? Do you have any advice around that?
1: Yeah, you'll know. Like you'll know your body when it's time and what's right and you just allow yourself to listen to your instincts um the doctors will tell you six weeks or eight weeks and I adhered to that and honestly I wasn't ready to get on a bike before then because there's so many other things going on you're not sleeping your body's a mess and um you're so in love with this little creature that is like (laughs) wrinkly and it's really amazing before being a mum you'd look at a newborn and be like that's cute but I don't really get it and then you have your own and you're like ah, I get it <laughs> um <laughs> yeah you know hop on your bike see how it feels like don't make any changes till you get there like you maybe you'll get on and you're like eh, this saddle's not really working for me um yeah I had a cesare- emergency cesarean section so I didn't really need to worry about make a ton of changes of yeah yeah um but I just knew when I was ready to hop back on and 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 just take it easy, go out for a casual ride, and see how you feel, and, and go from there. Cool. Yeah, but just be nice to yourself,
0: you know. Yeah, Just be nice to yourself. We've got a couple of questions, more questions that we haven't I haven't asked. Okay. So uh, we have um, Catherine Compton would like to know what would you say are the Whistler secret gems? beyond the bike park that people should check
1: out Catherine that is a very good question yes if you go in a whistler take your trail bike and ride the trails in the valley there is some incredible riding there especially at Pemberton and Squamish too like don't just stay in the bike park um I have yet to ride it but I hear Lord of the Squirrels is amazing it's my
0: favorite Um, trail
1: yeah so we used to like bushbash hike, hiker bikes to the back up the back of that mountain before wow. there was a trail there to get to that lookout and stunning um and amazing uh, area like i said i haven't done that but i would that would be on my list and um getting up onto blackcomb too um like microclimate and um hay bud and um uh dark crystal i haven't have yet to make it up that high but um That was some areas that I used to love, but you know, like the whole valley, there's just so much hidden cool stuff. Um, It's really hard to to pick. (laughs) The the west side trails are amazing. There's amazing stuff in Creekside. You really can't go wrong. Um,
0: I've only been to Whistler twice. Yeah, and the second time, I think we were only in the bike park one day, and we were just playing on the trails. We did um, Lord of the Scrolls twice. Oh, amazing. The only only thing was I remember people saying, oh, yeah, it takes about three or four hours to get up there. And I failed to take into account that was three or four hours of Whistler local being fit and riding a lot. Fit person, yeah. Because it took me about six <laughs> yeah, but it was definitely worth it. It was amazing yeah. up there. So Jessica Strange would like oh. to know. Um, hi Jessica. <laughs> so uh, she's asking. Uh, she wants to know what is it like to go viral with that bike crash? Ah, I'm um, wondering if that would come. <laughs> up We can't not ask it. And um, for anyone who's unaware, could you uh, could you tell us to what we are referring? If you don't mind reliving yeah. the trauma.
1: Uh, no, (laughs) I'll get you the link so you can share it if you want. (laughs) Um, it was, okay. So we were in Whistler actually, um, helping our Australian distributor, um, do an event with, um, some of their top retailers. And we went for a bike ride up over to Green Monster, which is a really fun trail. And it was like the end of the day and it kind of been a long ride. And I, You know, maybe we'd gone a bit further than planned, but all the guys were having a great time. Like there's tons of big rock rolls on that trail and there's like uh, one called the Green Monster. Um, But anyway, we got to the bottom of the trail. I'd skipped a few of the big rock rolls and we got to this one rock roll and I was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure I've done this before. This should be fine. Kind of looked at it, was like, yeah, yeah, got this. (laughs) But it was like middle of the summer, super dry and dusty. And I, I got on the rock roll and just grabbed, I think, a little tiny bit too much like rear brake um and there was like a ton of dust on that rock <laughs> and just, my rear wheel just like slid out and then there was some bomb holes at the bo- bottom and I just like started to ride the the bucking bull um in <laughs> into a tree and it looks like I hit my head really hard but so what I like I'm riding towards this tree and I see it and I think this is my gymnastics background coming in like I put my hands up for the crash and, like, my arms hit the tree but my whole body, like, piano accordioned back around my back wheel and um, I ended up scraping the side of my face. I didn't hit my head, which was amazing. But, like, at the time I can just, like, (laughs) remember hearing my neck crack and then, like, hearing, like, my upper back crack and then, like, my body kept going and I'm like, oh, like, every single bone in my spine I think cracked like down to my tailbone and then I could just remember my head being near my rotor on my back wheel <laughs> and, like I was clipped in so my bike kind of like kept going forward yeah and um I don't know all of a sudden I was just kind of like lying there and my coworker Andrew and one of our athletes Ian came running over and they're like You're right, and I'm just lying there, and I I get up and I'm like, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I think I'm good. And then they're like, Oh my god, that was amazing! And then they we're all kind of like laughing and stuff. And then we they show me the video, and we all start rewatching the video, and we're all like, Holy shit! Like, you might have a fracture. You might have a broken back. Like. We need to walk you out of here, like. Yeah. So it became really serious. Then we we're like, "Is she all right?" Like. Yeah. And I started to stress out. Like, am I okay? Like, I feel okay, but I don't know if I'm okay. Like, mm. what's going on? So Andrew Cho, who I don't know, you know, he's amazing. He's my coworker at the time. He's since moved on, but he had a spinal cord injury. Um, he had a blood vessel explode in his neck. So, and he became a quadriplegic, but he's a, a mobile quadriplegic. Um and he, he's riding his bike, he's incredible, had an amazing recovery. He was like, all right, this is serious, like holding my neck and yeah. like walking me out, making sure I wasn't twisting and got me into a car and was like neck, neck bracing me to the local clinic and we get to the clinic and they start doing um, these like uh, scans on me and they can't find anything the doctor, like, I show them the videos, and they're like, I, I, "We actually just want another do, do another scan on you because we can't believe that you're okay. Wow. We'll do some more scans." So they did like three MRIs on me or something. By this time, I was like, "I think I'm alright." Starving, you know. They go get me a burrito. I'm in the hospital bu- bed eating burritos, and they're doing scans on me. <laughs> they're like. After like uh, like several hours and a few scans, they're like, "Well, we really can't believe it, but we actually think you're fine. Wow, like, you don't have a concussion, you didn't hit your head, you don't have any broken bones. I had a like a fracture in my elbow, and that was it, and they're like, "You are good to go and so yeah, that Andrew ended up ended up editing it into this little viral video and sharing it, and it went nuts. <laughs> it was really crazy the day he posted it, I was at work out, and like all work focus was out the window because my phone was exploding from people <laughs> yeah. like reaching out. <laughs> and, oh my god, are you okay? Yeah, like what the hell happened? And then, of course, you've got people who are like, well, she shouldn't have done this and she shouldn't have done that and she shouldn't have been clipped in. What it is what it is and I I I'm lucky, I'm very lucky, I turned out all right. But yeah, it was it was um pretty scary. My boss insisted in using that video in like all of our work presentations for like different regions and different people if we're we'll presenting to. And this is Rochelle, she went viral. <laughs> but he's since promised to stop using it. So that's good. Okay, cool. <laughs> it took him about a year
0: to like stop using it. It is it is Amazing and horrifying, but I'm really glad. I feel better watching it, know that knowing that you were okay, because I think yeah I don't, I don't like those things where I don't know that the person was okay because it's yeah. uncomfortable. Like I don't really want someone get injured. But knowing that you are yeah. okay, I'm like, oh okay, then that was fine. <laughs> if you, you've had an amazing career through a range of different areas in the bike industry, if uh, there's anyone listening out there who who's like, oh, uh-huh. do you know what? I, I'd quite like to work in the bike industry. What advice yeah. would you give
1: them? Um, I would say um, have faith in yourself. Give it a crack. Like you know, even if you see a job description and you think, mm, I don't know if I have all the qualities that they're looking for. Like don't second guess yourself. Um, apply because you never know what other background you might, experience you might have that really could benefit that company or that team.
0: Yeah,
1: and get to know people. Um, When you're out, always put your best foot forward, be friendly, be approachable, say hello to people, get to know people in the industry. If you're at a trade show, I mean, I know this is all kind of questionable right now, or if you're at the trail center and there's like a brand there that has a demo that you're interested in, like get to know the people, like make make connections and ride with different people and the right opportunity will come up for you at some point. And just having a go is the main thing. Like if you apply for something and it doesn't work out, doesn't mean it's the end of the road. There might be another job with that company later on that they might put you in their back pocket for they might think, "Ah oh, you know what she was cool maybe not right for this role, but like maybe we have a spot over here or yeah you just you just never know like you don't know what's going on on the other side of the fence so you just have to put yourself over it to, to get started so
0: one of the things I ask each of my guests is uh, a cause or a, or a charity that is close to your heart that you would like to give a shout out to <clears throat> So Rochelle, what, what's yours? Ooh
1: well um this charity is in honor of an ex-coworker um, who's in the UK he had a son that a young son that passed away from Lee's disease a few years ago um, and now that I have my own young son that the thought of losing a young child is just really unbearable and I my heart goes out to him and his wife um, so it's the children's hospice ride uh southwest um i think it's sold out for this year but you could still donate and you could still donate to the uh, the children's hospice southwest um they look after kids who have life-limiting illnesses um i think just helping them out for the incredible work that they do would be really great uh that's my charity
0: thank you for sharing that one and i will put up um, all the links to that so people can find out more um get involved in the ride when it's happening again And also make their donations. I think that's a good
1: cause. Thanks, everybody. Um,
0: And finally, um, as much as it's possible to plan anything in the current circumstances, and also bearing in mind that you have a a gorgeous young son, what are your plans for 2021? What have you got going on?
1: Well, actually, we are going on a little bike holiday next week. Nice. (laughs) Yeah, which I'm very excited about. We are going um, interstate, obviously, very safely with our masks, et cetera, and we're staying in a little Airbnb. But we're going to go to uh, a town called Brevard in North Carolina that you might have heard about, it's, um, Real outside of Asheville, North Carolina. It's a real um, mountain biking uh, and cycling community, actually. So we've never been, and we're really excited to go ride our mountain bikes and gravel bikes and – get some riding in and beyond that really no plans other than there's some exciting stuff coming up the line for gt um excited to see race season kick off when it does
0: oh man
1: and i'm just really hoping to get to australia at some point
0: i will cross my fingers and my toes and i'm sure everyone listening will do that as well to make sure that that happens for you this year um Michelle, yeah. thank you so much for joining me for a chat today it's been amazing we could talk for hours um thank you for joining me and hopefully we'll we'll speak again soon yes thank you so much for having me if and thank you everybody who's
1: listened in and i you know, really appreciate it and hopefully you got some cool little bits of info or takeaways and yeah appreciate your time thank you
0: Thanks for listening to the Spindrift podcast. My guest for this episode was Rochelle Bubar, Global Marketing Manager for GT Bicycles. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review and spread the word to your friends. We'd also love to see you over on Instagram at spindrift underscore podcast.